You are listening to The Star Coach Show with Meg Rentschler, episode 208. What's the primary responsibility of a leader? Is the primary responsibility of a leader to solve problems? Or is the primary responsibility of a leader to ensure that the organization can always solve problems? And it's always the latter mm-hmm. because the leaders aren't going to be there by themselves. And, and if a leader leaves and the organization collapses, Leaders with these horrible egos will say, well, see how good a leader I was. It was great when I was there. As soon as I left, it collapsed. Well, that means you didn't do your job while you were there, doofus. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, and thank you for being here. I'm your host, Meg Rinchler, executive and mentor coach and coach educator. You just heard a little clip from my guest today. David Veach is going to share with us some innovative and applicable ideas for engaging organizations as a leader. So if you're a leader, if you're an executive coach who works with leaders, if you just want to get better at what you do, you are going to definitely be able to walk away with so much from today's interview, including some great downloads. So I'll get to that in just a minute. I did want to let you know that I've been listening to the audience. I've been listening to the coaches that I work with. And I just wanted to give you a heads up that we've got some exciting things right around the corner. I've heard how you want to be able to hear coaching demonstrations, how you want to be able to have a community that you can grow with and get some just-in-time coaching around what you're doing to grow your businesses or grow your skill set, that being able to learn from experienced coaches is something that speaks to you and that you hunger for. And therefore, I've got some answers coming for that just around the corner, a community that I think is really going to light you up. And just want to give you a heads up that that is, we're doing a little foreshadowing here. We're letting you know about something that's about to come up. And I'm excited to be able to bring that to you. And we'll have more information about that in November. Now, let me tell you about my guest today. David Veach teaches leaders how to love, learn, and let go. The actions following these three decisions create an engaging workplace that harnesses the creative and productive power of people. Now, David's going to share his journey with us in the interview today, starting with his work within the U.S. Army and being an officer in the Army, and then the path that that took him on right up until today. He is a passionate and inspiring speaker whose messages move organizations to obliterate obstacles, accelerate innovation, and elevate performance. David leaves people motivated and engaged for the future. Now, you'll hear in the interview today that David has done this work for over 30 years, studying leadership, studying work systems, looking at what works, 
what motivates people, and how to help leaders be more effective. And those are things that he's bringing to us today. He's actually put together some awesome downloads for the audience. You can access those downloads at starcoachshow.com, episode 208. In the show notes, there'll be a link to be able to access those downloads. Now, David is the author of two best-selling books, Leader Sites, Creating Great Leaders Who Create Great Workplaces, and The C4 Process, Four Vital Steps to Better Work. He actually is giving us a chapter of the C4 process of that book. We get a chapter for the audience, and that's going to be in the downloads. He's actually writing another book right now, High Speed Problem Solving, and that's going to be coming out in the spring of 2021. So David brings this incredible enthusiasm for helping leaders be great at what they do and the way that they help the people that work for them be great. And I just had a wonderful time visiting with David, learning about the work that he did. He let me know that without problems, we never get better. And I thought that that was a wonderful reframe because sometimes we get so caught up in the problem and we forget that there's a learning behind any difficulty that we have. So I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's go to my interview with David Veach. David, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It is delightful to spend time with you this morning. Hey, Meg. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited about this. Been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks. Well, good. I love bringing new perspectives to the audience. We're going to be talking today about leadership and problem solving, critical thinking as leaders. I think that those of you who are listening that are leaders yourself are going to get so much from this conversation, as well as those of us who coach in the leadership space and how to help our clients become more thoughtful and and just having that perspective of how am I showing up in my critical thinking as a leader. Before we get into all that good stuff, I would love to start with the road that you've walked to get you to a place of coaching in the leadership space. Okay. Everything really starts for me with, uh, with the Army. I, was, uh, I got an ROTC scholarship my freshman year of college and found out that I was pretty good at this stuff and I responded pretty well to the discipline and the structure and I liked being listened to. And so it was very exciting for me. So I I went into the army in in 1981 into the infantry and I spent 20 years leading troops. About halfway through, they sent me off to grad school. So I got a taste of, I went to Clemson and I studied industrial management. So I was getting into a second career field in acquisition and procurement. And so they sent me off to college to get me all this wonderful stuff. But in that civilian mix, I learned that leadership was even more critical for the civilian side than it was for the soldiers and everything. Because the soldiers, you know, they all expect that. They expect leaders to direct and they expect leaders to do this. And the military is structured. They have that system. They have it down. The thing that uh, the thing that a lot of people get get kind of wrapped up about is is they they're certain that because of the structure in the military, all the leaders are very command and control oriented. But we are not taught 
to be command and control oriented in the military. We are taught to be very clear and very precise, specifically with what our outcome is for a particular mission or a particular task. And once we say this is where we want to be when we're finished, it's pretty much here's the best plan that we've come up with for it. But hey, if you find a better way on the way, go for it. You're on your own. Once you're out there fighting the battle, you're on your own. And so it's a very hands-off kind of Mm -hmm. approach. But the only way to get to that state where you can be hands-off is to be absolutely crystal clear about what your outcomes are. And that's a lesson that applies to every leader everywhere. Because without that clarity, we really can't offer any accountability. Right. So let's, let's spend some time being more clear. So I learned that lesson very clearly as a soldier. And then I learned it even more clearly working with civilians because they don't expect the command and control. And a lot of those leaders were less clear. And because they were less clear on their outcomes, they were much more likely to micromanage. Okay. Lots of of micromanaging uh, uh, leaders in the government. But that's also true with many of the clients that I've worked with since I retired from the Army in 2001. So when I retired after 20 years, um, I started teaching at the University of Kentucky. And I had a relationship with the University of Kentucky because the previous job I had, my last job in the Army, was teaching uh, career professionals in quality manufacturing and production management who worked within the government. They would come through uh, programs that we had designed, and I introduced a lean manufacturing curriculum for the government. And of course, I didn't know anything about lean except what I heard a little bit about at Clemson. So I had struck up a partnership with the University of Kentucky, which was just down the road. I was at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Ohio. Struck up a partnership with the guys at the University of Kentucky, which have a uh, which has a, a fantastic partnership with Toyota. You know, the, oh, the first, yeah, the Toyota plant, the first wholly owned Toyota plant was built in Georgetown, Kentucky, which is 11 miles from the university. And so part of the package deal that the state of Kentucky offered was, we'll have this learning partnership with the University of Kentucky. All right. So they were pretty much the experts on understanding what makes Toyota tick and what makes Toyota a great company. So I I partnered up with them. I went through their lean certification programs and built this curriculum for the government to use. And as, as far as I know, they're still using it. So it's been a That's been a really exciting. What a legacy, David. So taught at the University of Kentucky for about five years. I had a badge for Toyota so I could go to the Toyota plant and study anytime I wanted. I was working in the College of Engineering, but I'm not an engineer. So all the engineers that I was working with, they would go to Toyota and they would study all the technical aspects of the Toyota production system. And all that was covered. So I said, well, I'm going to study something else. I'm going to go and I'm going to look at leadership and I'm going to look at people and I'm going to look at development. I'm going to look at suggestion systems. I'm going to look at quality circles and problem solving. And I was there as much as I could to study their approach to doing that. And I also got into a PhD program on educational psychology since everything that I learned about the Toyota system really was about how people learn and how to create an organization where people learn more effectively. So I wanted to learn more about that. So I got into this real deep dive in educational psychology and kind of was able to mold all these theories together into something really practical because I've seen it at work at Toyota. It was really cool. Um, So I loved all that stuff. We left the university in like 2006. We started a consulting firm. Half Half of the clients were in Australia. Half of the clients were in the United States. I made 27 trips to Australia in six years. Loved it. Loved the people down there. Loved the attitude, uh, the food, uh, the sight. 
we we had a blast in, in uh, with the Australian clients, but uh, we got there toward toward the end of of that. The company is still going on. I left the consulting firm in uh, 2013 because I wasn't teaching enough. I love teaching. That's really kind of what I do. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's what gives me the most meaning. So I want to teach more. So I took a job at the Ohio State University teaching in the Master of Business Operational Excellence program, which is an MBA related to operational excellence or lean thinking. And so I taught there. I've taught there for the past six years. And we've recently redone our relationship a little bit. So I'm not teaching so much anymore. I'm doing more private coaching, consulting, and teaching and trying to trying to make a living on my own. Excellent. So a couple things there. First of all, what a lifelong learner you are. And uh, the passion that you share when you talk about learning and, and getting out there and experimenting. And this is a this is an area I could learn more about is, is really energizing to just hear. And then the other thing, I was just doing a mentor group right before our interview, and the question came up, how can we put our biases aside when we're coaching with somebody? So being a graduate of the University of Michigan and Michigan State University, who are the main rivals of the Ohio State, I am still able to stay fully present with David and focused on what we can learn from him, even though we have that rivalry. <laughs> no, well, I'm glad you see it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and really a wonderful university, the, the Ohio State. I just, and, and they all are, but the, I think that rivalry um, is just fun, right? It yes. just really, it, but it really, it pushes us to excellence, but it isn't a destructive kind of, of competition. I have seen some very destructive competition, and there were a few years in the Ohio, Michigan, Ohio State-Michigan rivalry that, that were pretty destructive. But by and large, I mean, we, we do things, not just the football games and the basketball games, but, but there's a big blood drive that's a competition every year that has wonderful outcomes for both communities. It's just, I think it's been a very productive kind of relationship over the years. Right. I mean, you know, there is some, something to be said about pushing each other to, to greatness. And, but that did, that did, so I had to smile when you said that. I thought, oh, you know, we just talked about bias and we're going to talk about that right now. So all that, all that studying and getting in there and doing some research and learning about the people and leadership traits is exactly what we're going to talk about today. So when we think about what you learned about leadership, the need for those clear expectations, being able to communicate with clarity speaks to my heart. I think that it should speak to the hearts of, of coaches everywhere. Let's talk about what it is about the problem-solving process, about critical thinking that is so important for leadership. Oh, absolutely. The first challenge we've got with, with this kind of frame is is how do you see the problems to begin with? So we have to design processes, systems, and put some structures in that will let us know clearly when there's a problem. Because over the past hundred years in most organizations, we have been very creative. People are infinitely creative. But this is like my, the coolest thing. People are just so imaginative. When Even when people, they, they don't think they are. They're just creative as hell. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, and isn't that a premise of the, yeah, so I love that you, we were tapping into that. Go ahead. We as creative humans have built all these systems for a hundred years that hide problems so that if I have a problem, 
I can say it's not my fault or I can blame somebody else or I don't take any heat for it because we've, we've tagged this, this word problem as a bad word. And it's a, it's a beautiful word. It's like the perfect word. Without problems, we never get better. So we have to experience problems. Every human knows we experience problems. And just denying those problems doesn't help. Shifting the blame doesn't help. You only help by understanding what it really is, understanding who it affects, when it happens, how bad is it, why it happens, and only then can we try to figure out what we're going to do about it. And we also have a long, painful history of this kind of hip-shoot, knee-jerk reaction to a problem, and somebody reports a problem to a leader, and the leader thinks that it's their job to just say, okay, we'll go and do this. Just fix this. To give the solution. Right. That's right. I'm coming to you with a problem, oh, great leader. Give me the answer, and I'll go do your bidding kind of thing. And we've conditioned leaders that that's the proper behavior. But that is not a developmental behavior. It is simply a reaction. And it might be lucky. It might be good. You might. It's based on all your experience and everything. And, and many leaders are gifted at this. But I, I peel all that away and say, what's the primary responsibility of a leader? Is the primary responsibility of a leader to solve problems? Or is the primary responsibility of a leader to ensure that the organization can always solve problems? And it's always the latter. Mm-hmm. because the leaders aren't going to be there by themselves. And, and if a leader leaves and the organization collapses, leaders with these horrible egos will say, well, see how good a leader I was. It was great when I was there. As soon as I left, it collapsed. Well, that means you didn't do your job while you were there, doofus. So, and that job is? That job is to develop people. N- nothing else matters. I don't care what kind of products you're making. I don't care what kind of service you're providing. I don't care what you do. If you're not developing people, you are not preparing the organization for a future and you are not leading. So developing people, number one thing, it is the only, it is the only thing that we can do in organizations that's going to give us any kind of competitive edge in the future, right? And it also gives us this great dynamic flexibility that when some crazy stuff happens like coronavirus hits and we all have to work from home, we can instantly pivot because our people are capable of thinking, applying new tools, creating new solutions, and working together in ways that we've never thought about before. That only comes from people. Absolutely. So when we think about developing people, what do we want leaders to be thinking about? Like how? (laughs) I think that's the magic question. (laughs) Critical things are... The leaders have to have enough of a relationship with the people they are leading to understand their needs, both professionally and, and personally. Plus, they need to know what that person really wants out of this relationship, out of this working relationship, out of this job. Do they have aspirations? Do they have ambition? Are they driven for something? If the leader doesn't understand that need of that person, they can't really tailor their coaching to satisfy that need. And if the leader hasn't decided that their needs are more important than mine, then that's not going to happen either. So this, this whole learning the, about those needs really is dependent on the leader making this one decision about loving people. And we, we get kind of squirmy when we start talking about love in a workplace, right? But that has been probably the single greatest discovery that I've been able to make. I'm not sure I... I can't claim that I'm the only one that's discovered this. I mean, Maslow wrote about it in 1942. Right. So, and, and Jesus talked about it way before that. So, 
that we have to love each other. And, and love simply means making a conscious decision to put the needs of others above your, yourself. Right. So I'm developing that person, me. even if it means developing them out of your team or developing exactly. them into a peer role or whatever, that, that even if that person is giving you gold, having them in that position forever might not really be what's best for that person. Yeah, and we can only do that if we set our own ego and our own needs aside mm-hmm. to focus on, on theirs. So we make that decision to love, then we make the decision to, to learn. I'm going to go and learn as much about this person as I can. What makes them tick? What do they respond to? What do they want? What do they like? What do they do? Who are they really? What's their identity built around? Uh, and then I can tailor my coaching and my experiences and we can build structures in the organization that really allow me to say, okay, here are the outcomes that the organization needs. Together, we can build a plan to achieve those outcomes. And then I'm going to let you go and do that without bugging you a whole lot. I'm going to be checking in to see if you are on track and if you need help or if you need additional resources or anything. But other than that, I'm going to pretty much let go. So love, learn, and let go are the three secrets to leadership success. Beautiful. They're hard to do, though. They (laughs) are hard hard to to do. do. So one of the things, you know, you're talking about using coaching then as a leadership style. All the coaching that you've talked about is leaders coaching their people through loving, learning, and letting go. What advice or food for thought might you give to coaches who are helping leaders use coaching in their leadership style? I think one of the more important things is to make sure that they don't try to coach too many people, not the coaches themselves, but the leaders themselves. Mm -hmm. Because the capability of a human being is limited, is limited. (laughs) I'll leave it at that. If we try to say, I am the leader of a team of 422 people. There's no way you can develop 422 people. So you have to develop subordinate leaders to help you do all that stuff. And it really ought to come down to you being personally responsible for the development of anywhere between. uh, There's no real magic number really should be driven by the work, but our capability is tapped out around seven or eight people Mm -hmm. because it just takes more time. Mm-hmm. If you're really going to love, learn, and like that, there's an investment of time and energy in that. Absolutely. But the, the way the organization is structured and the attitudes of the leaders needs to be clear that, that I am the coach for only five to seven, eight people. Mm-hmm. I may be the CEO of right. Walmart and I'm responsible for all 500,000 employees, but I'm personally responsible for the development of my first tier team. And if every leader then goes and takes responsibility for their first tier team, and we built the first tier teams to be five, seven, eight people, depending on Mm -hmm. the work, all the way through the organization, we have this massive amount of energy that is focused on individual development. And we given the leaders the capability and the structure to allow them to succeed. That is beautiful. What other, if anything, tips or strategies would you encourage executive or leadership coaches to think about around this particular area of coaching our our first tier team or critical thinking or problems, all the different things that we're talking about this morning? I got to tell you, make something that came to my mind while I was trying to think through what we're going to talk about is is time and how people respond to the coach. 
right? Your audience are coaches working with leaders. I am sure that they have had more than their share of times when the, the leader that they were supposed to coach pushed back a little bit and didn't want to schedule an appointment or did, I'm too busy this week. We've got a big crisis in the office. We can't do it this week. Can you postpone it? And so I'm moved to encourage your coaches to really help those leaders, one, see the value of that stopping and interacting even in the midst of a crisis. Maybe especially in the midst of a crisis. Maybe especially <laughs> in the midst of that crisis. But I, I got a feeling that's going to be, that's some heavy lift. I had that experience with, with a, a coaching organization in Arizona where, um, you know, I would come down and I would have to hunt people down to get on their calendars instead of the other way around because they were always so busy and it was always in the midst of a crisis. I did make some good progress at that organization, but it's, uh, it, was, it was some heavy lifting. So I want to encourage the coaches to keep on. Don't let those, I mean, really be, be aggressive in helping that leader make the time, not just for their coaching session with you, but make the time for them to go out and have deliberate one-on-one coaching sessions with their people. And if it's not written down and on the plan and on the calendar, it just ain't going to happen. Right. And too many of them, I had horrible experiences with saying, okay, the first thing to go when times get busy, the first thing to go is that coaching session. It's like, that's the most important thing. Right. So really helping them see the value proposition of that. That's exactly right. And really helping to see how it benefits them and the entire organization by stopping and taking a breath and having somebody just to bounce something off of. And then the primary focus of my teaching for leaders as coaches is that it's not about giving people feedback. And a lot of people in organizations like, oh yeah, I'm going to have my one-on-one session with my team, with my team members, and I'm going to provide them performance feedback. Well, that's... Uh, that's not really what coaching is for me. That doesn't help. No, that's not coaching. Yeah. Because they know exactly what the hell happened. Okay. You don't have to tell them. You screwed up this week. They, you don't have to tell them. They know. Okay. If you've developed systems that allow everybody to see that. And the system, the primary system is this visual management system that we talk about in lean systems all the time. Uh, that system is going to give them all the feedback they need. So what's the purpose of a one-on-one coaching session? It's always developmental. It's always centered on the person being coached and what do they want and what do they need and have they built a plan to achieve what they need and do they have the resources and are they sticking to that plan? So as a coach, if you're talking more than 10% of the time, you're probably talking too damn much. So shut up and listen some, ask some pretty, ask some pretty thought provoking questions that really make them look at their own behavior and their own way of thinking about that behavior and, and just if it takes five minutes of silence where they think that's the most uncomfortable silence in the world, of course, but you've got to have the strength to make it through that silence to make sure that they're actually thinking about things that are going to drive new behaviors. You absolutely have to use that coaching acronym of WAIT. Why am I talking? And just allow, if you've asked a powerful question, if you're in that place, challenging the person to think, then for heavens to Betsy, give them the chance to think. Zip it. Very hard though, isn't it? It's hard. And at the same time, I always say that person is absolutely whole, creative, and resourceful. If they don't understand what you asked, or if they're completely at a loss, they will tell you. If they're quiet and thinking, they don't need to be rescued. There's one, one thing I want to add to that, Meg. You made me think about this. Uh, from, from your listener's perspective, when they're talking about coaching leaders, that's, that's absolutely true. 
But when the leaders are actually coaching folks and there's actual authority involved yes. and power involved, often people are afraid to say what's on their minds. So leaders really have to double down their efforts on, on eliminating that fear. And a lot of the visual systems and a lot of visual measurement and getting away from this focus on I'm providing feedback is going to eliminate a lot of that fear. But this is like a daily kind of thing that, that leaders are going to have to do in building those relationships and building that trust. I'm so glad you brought that up because you're right. We're always kind of looking through those two different lenses, particularly in this interview. And the lens of coaching and waiting versus the leader making sure that they've created that atmosphere and that space for the person to feel safe enough to, to be honest and forthright and share their feelings and their perspective. Very important. So you've talked about this visual process, and we actually are going to provide the audience with, with a, an example of what you're talking about. Can you share a little bit about what this tool is? After a, lot of, uh, after a lot of studies of different types of suggestion systems and different types of employee engagement systems, I pulled together a problem-solving process that is easy to coach and easy to teach. Now, problem-solving process has been around for a long time. Toyota uses PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act, uh, which a lot of people have adjusted and say, well, it's Plan, Do, Study, Act, or Plan, Do, Study. Anyway, people skip over the plan part and just go to the do part. Everybody just wants to get something done. So it's like, all right, it's hard to teach that because there's so much stuff that goes into the plan part. And then along comes Six Sigma. And the popularity of Six Sigma has driven this uh, process called DOMAIC, which is define, measure, analyze, improve, and control. Five distinct steps in a problem-solving process. And if you look, it goes into what each of those steps and you look at what goes into PDCA, the scientific method is still active in both of those. So they're both based on the same foundational kinds of things. So I had a hard time. I taught PDCA for years and years and I always had a hard time getting people to really focus on that plan part. And so I said, we want to break this out some. And so I was, um, I was talking to a friend of mine who was developing the Rolls-Royce production system back in 2003 and 2004. And a few years later, we were playing around with something that was easier for them to actually apply. And they said, well, we kind of settled on, can we, can we state the concern? Can we identify the cause? And can we develop a countermeasure? So it's, it's concern, cause, and countermeasure. I said, that's, that's cool. That's great. I'm going to steal that. And so I stole it. But it's not enough just to do the concern cause countermeasure. You also have to, since we're focused on developing people, since we're focused on learning, you can't really learn until you reflect on what happened. So I've added a fourth C and it's confirm. So we're going to identify the concern. What's the real problem? We're going to do critical thinking around that, which is what the little card is going to, I'll go through that in just a second. And then we're going to figure out what's causing that by asking why as many times as it takes to get to the root cause. And we're going to develop creative countermeasures. We always develop more than one. Our typical guidance to go to root cause is five whys. That's a, a tool that Toyota used. And for me, I think effective countermeasures can only come up if you can, uh, can only come about if you come up with five ways to solve it. So go from five whys to the root cause to five ways to solve each one and then evaluate those. And when you implement, you have to confirm. So you have to go and look at what happened and you have to think about 
our experience in going through this? Do we stick on the process? Do we have the right people? There's all kinds of questions to ask in that retrospective approach. Now, a lot of folks build in these retrospectives, and, and I learned this in the Army as an after-action review. Every time you do something, you, you look at what happened, you reflect on it, and you learn and make adjustments for the next time. So I've added that fourth step. So I call the process the C4 process. And C4, many of your listeners will know, is plastic explosive that blows stuff up. <laughs> Boom! And it's a military kind of tool, right? So I thought it, I could have a little fun with maybe we could have some explosive results with the C4 process. So this still- is a process that you use with leaders to use with their people to go through critical thinking and problem solving so that they can engage their team to help with some of those some of the what's, what are we going to do uh, in, exactly. in, or the ways, the ways that we're going to do things. Well, the, the this card, I, I put it on a little card because I've learned that if we don't write problems down, we just talk about them. And if you're just talking about stuff, you don't ever solve the stuff. So always write it down. And I give you a little place right here and it can, whoever experiences the problem at any level of the organization, if you have the problem, write it here. If you're the CEO and you've set an annual goal and you're not making progress on that annual goal, that's a problem. You write that thing down and then find somebody that you can assign this to and you can help coach them through it. But, but it's typically for employee engagement. So the, the folks who are doing the work, creating the value in the organization, they experience a problem that prevents them from doing their job the way they think it needs to be done. It's a problem. Okay, I expect this. I get this. The difference between what you expect and what actually happens, that's the problem space. So write that problem space down and then you put your name on it and you put this on a board in the workplace or you put it on a Trello board digitally online and the leader making their rounds either virtually or physically is going to grab that card and say, all right, uh, Meg says there's a concern about the sound quality from this microphone. Okay. Let me go and talk to her about that rather than just go say, hey, Meg, I'll buy you a new microphone. Now I have a chance to actually talk about this. So I have a a guidance. So there's there's space on this card to draw a picture if you want or write down whatever you need. Just take wild notes. And it's supposed to be as free-flowing as possible. But there's questions up, up here in the concern part that are focused on what are you supposed to ask as the leader? And the things we need to ask are pretty basic. Who, what, when, where, and how. So who did this problem happen to? Who else do we need to get involved? What actually happened? And believe me, that is way harder than most people think it is. Mm-hmm. Most people could see these gigantic problems that we just can't solve. We call those, you know, boil the ocean kind of problems. Right, right. Solve the hunger kind of problems. So we've got to be able to use these critical thinking questions to break that problem down to something we can actually solve at the level where it occurred. So I don't expect this this to run off to the engineering group and have them come up with a solution. This is between me, the person who reported the problem, and my leader who's going to coach me through this thinking process. So if I'm the leader, I'm writing all the stuff down. I'm asking the questions and I'm writing things down. I'm not going to give this card back to you and say, Meg, all you got to do is write up all this good stuff. Give me your evaluation and we'll go buy you a new microphone. That's not going to help you learn how to think through this stuff. So this is the script that helps you have that conversation with people. Who, what, when, where, where does it happen? How bad is it? How often does it occur? Anything you need to know, and it can be as as many cycles of this questioning as you need to. Then once you decide, okay, this is actually the problem. The actual problem is the power that comes through your power source into your microphone isn't sufficient to keep you, your voice 
coming through as beautifully as it should. Okay, so now we have a specific problem. Well, why is that happening? So we're going to ask why it happened and then answer that why, answer that why, answer that why. I want to make a distinction here because it's really easy to screw this up. Okay, it's really easy for me as a leader to say, okay, here's the problem. You failed to make your numbers or Meg, your sound isn't good out of the microphone. Give me, five it all reasons. About, yeah. Give me five reasons why it's not your fault. And then I'm all defensive and because why, and that's why I wanted to create this distinction that this is David's research and work has led to this as, as a way for leaders to, to go through this critical thinking because Lord knows through all the training that I do for coaches, we say, stay away from why, why creates defensiveness. And so David's point in be careful about the way that the leader is using the why, because it's not Meg, why are you a screw up versus, you know, helping to get to the, to the underlying aspects of whatever this issue is that's happening in the workplace. So we have to understand what the true problem is. And the cause of that true problem is very rarely because someone just screwed up. Okay. The problem is usually something in the process. Leaders are responsible for designing processes. If I've got a bad design process, it's going to screw up a lot. But if I only blame people for it, it's never going to get fixed. So I can have a whole string of perfectly qualified, capable people coming in and working in this broken process, never see it because I'm so focused on blaming the people. So another caution then is when you start this conversation about the concern and you say who, what, when, where, how, it's not who, whose fault is it? Who can I pin this on? It's who does this problem really affect? And who can we get involved who might be able to tell us more about how this happens? So it's all very process focused and protective of the people. And we never start asking why until we understand what the true problem is. And then it's why did that happen? Not why did you screw up the way you did, right? Mm -hmm. It's why did that happen? And we answer that question and we, with another why, well, okay, why did, why did that happen? And we go deep into that. It might take two or three, it might take 15 questions to get deep enough to solve this. If we've done a good job of breaking the problem down to something that's a, a digestible chunk, then we'll have a, a much easier time getting to the root cause. But you still have to ask those key questions. Is that really causing that? Can we run an experiment and replicate that? And so part of this learning process involves validating everything you think might be causing that problem as well. Okay. So if I think it is you and you're just talking too loud or you're leaning in too close to that microphone, then, okay, well, let's try that again. And let's try a couple of different things. And maybe you haven't developed the skill that you need to master the process. Well, that's my fault as the leader too. That's not your fault. So I need to double my efforts to make sure you are fully skilled in the process that I'm asking you to operate. So we get down to the root cause. Okay. And we roll and then, it over. And then what happens next? On the backside, we got space to write down our ideas. What are we going to do about that? Now that we've got the root cause, what are we going to do to solve the problem at the root cause? And people are pretty energetic at this stage. There's always a lot of different things that you can do about it. Uh, the, the most challenging aspect of this is for the leader, again, to not decide, do this. Which so goes right to, back to coaching principles. Exactly. Our people are whole, resourceful, and creative. Let's pull some ideas from them. Let's let them be a part of the process so that they're more engaged in the process, so that they're more believing in the solution to the process. Exactly. And so since I'm all about learning, 
Mm-hmm. And on the scale of cognitive learning, we go from basic knowledge all the way through analysis, synthesis, and evaluation, where depending on the theorists that you talk to, evaluation is actually the highest level of human learning. Some think it's even more advanced than our ability to create something new, because if we create something new and we can't tell whether it's any good, you really haven't learned much, right? So we want to get people into this evaluation mode. So tell me what your idea is. Ooh, that sounds really cool. Is it going to be easy for us to implement? Is it going to be effective? Is it actually going to solve that problem at the root cause? Can we do that ourselves or do we have to hire somebody else to do this? Do we maintain control of it or do we do it outside? Is it going to save us any money? What's it going to cost? And we ask those questions and give our people the resources they need to answer those questions properly. Then once they do the evaluation of these five different ways to solve the problem, then we pick the best one and we implement it with gusto. And hopefully the problem never comes back again. And all we do is collect the results and we make sure we learn from that experience and say, thanks for doing that. Let's do another one. Wow. That's awesome. So David has created this. He's generous enough to offer it as a cheat sheet for you leaders that are listening, people who work with leaders. So we will have the information for that download in the show notes for this episode. And I appreciate you walking us through it so that everybody, when they download it, can look at, okay, this is this is what David was talking about. Well, I tell you what, man, what, what I'll do is... Uh... When I, when I send this to you, this is, comes as a printable PDF in color. I'll also give your readers the, the chapter in my book, The C4 Process, that talks specifically about how to use that card. So I'll, I'll send that to you as a PDF, and they can have that as well. How generous. Thank you. Thank you for that. So let's now, we could probably talk for days and days about how important all of this is, but what did we leave on the table, if anything, that we want to be sure we think about as we wrap up our time together today? I want to go back to how even this simple card ties back to your decision as a coach and your decision as a leader to treat people with love. I, I really just don't think there's enough of that in the world. We're not taking care of each other the way we are. We need to. We're not, we're not treating each other kindly enough. And that creates all kinds of bad vibes that hamper our ability to see problems, to find out what's causing the problems, and and it really crushes our creativity. When I don't think you're going to listen to me, I'm not going to share you any ideas. And so that affects my job satisfaction. And as my satisfaction gets suppressed, my willingness to share ideas and report problems disappears. I'm I may or may not be any less productive, but I I guarantee if I'm mad at you, I am not going to share any problems with you because I want them to explode and make you look like a goat, okay? So we want our people to be satisfied, not because we get better productivity out of them, but because satisfied people will tell us, tell us what's on their mind and will tell us when there's a problem and will share some ideas with us. And we can't get that kind of behavior unless we love them. And, And there's specific steps behaviors or skills associated with that. And, and if I can just take it, steal a couple more minutes. Okay. Because I've only got four skills that I think leaders need to develop, right? Number one is challenging. And all your coaches count as these leaders because you're supposed to be doing this for your leaders and helping them see this. So number one is you've got to be able to challenge people effectively. And the most 
prominent use of challenge is a, is a direct affront to what I'm telling you, right? So I'm challenging the way you're thinking. And as soon as you do that, my defenses are up and I'm ready to fight, right? So we've got to learn to challenge in a way that excites people. Ooh, that sounds like a fun challenge. Hey, can we do this in three days instead of 15? What would we have to change to be able to do this quicker? What would we have to change to be able to do this with better quality? What would we have to change? And if we can tee up those kinds of challenges and get people fired up about those challenges, that is, that's a huge step toward getting them engaged. Number two is support. If you're going to challenge them, then you have to be willing to provide all the support, which means all the resources they need to succeed. Then we have to stay with them. Okay. So I said, we got to let go, but we don't abandon anybody ever. Okay. So we let go. So we're going to continue to come back in and check and make sure that they've got everything they need. And occasionally they're going to get off track. If they're off track, you then have to have the courage to have that correcting or adjusting conversation. So I think correct is the third skill that we have to do. And then the fourth one is you've been corrected once or twice, Meg. I'm sure I've been corrected many, many, many times. It hurts. It stings a little bit. And so after that, I need some encouragement to get back up on that challenge again. So we have to teach people how to encourage others. And and I don't know where... I don't know about you and your audience. I'm hoping that you've got more resources than a lot of my guys do over, over on this side. But I can't find anything in a leader development program that teaches leaders how to encourage somebody. It's just not, it's a task that we think you're just supposed to know. So there's specific things that we can call on. If we can develop ways to teach people how to do this, then we're going to make them more effective leaders. We're going to create more effective workplaces and everything's going to get better. So good. So do the four again, just, just the challenge, support, correct, encourage. Excellent. Thank you for your time today. So much wonderful information. This is going to be one of those episodes people are going to have to listen to a couple times to get everything down. I appreciate you, David. Well, thanks for having me on, Meg. I really appreciate it. And I'd love to hear from your audience. All of the information that David shared was so good, but I can also see how it would be helped to have the downloads that he supplied. So be sure to go to starcoachshow.com episode 208. And in the show notes, you will see a link for the downloads to not just the chapter that he talked about and the problem solving card that he talked about, but other resources that he's offering as well. So starcoachshow.com episode 208. Now, if you'd like to know what we're going to be talking about next week, then you're in the right place. You want to come back next week when we are exploring transformational speaking with Michelle Franco. We're going to be talking about how you can speak in such a way that it's transformative for the people who are listening to you and they're attracted to you, and you're able to share your expertise and build your client load that way. So next week, I have Michelle Franco as a guest, and she was fabulous. If you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving a rate and review wherever you listen to the show, whether it's on Spotify, or Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher Radio, wherever you listen to this podcast, drop a review in. That will help other people find the show. And I thank you for that in advance. 
Now, as I talked in the beginning of the show, I do have a community that I'm working on that is going to bring additional value to you, give you some direct ways to interact with me, to get feedback on both business building and maybe explore some demonstrations by masterful coaches in coaching, as well as a treasure trove of other things. If, as you listen to this, you think, oh, Meg, I would really enjoy X, Y, and Z. This, if I know that this particular thing is something that would really help me in my business growth, in my growth and confidence as a coach, whatever that is, feel free to shoot me an email at meg at a focus on results.com so that I know as I'm building this community that it's exactly what you're looking for and what you need. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Stay well, and we'll see you next week.